0: We have a lot of repeat sellers, we have a lot of repeat buyers, and a lot of the value we add is matching those people up to get the best deal for everybody. And that's why we can get deals closed you know, in under two to three months from start to finish.
1: Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs, They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Ishmael Rixen, who's the CEO of FE International, which allows investors and owners to buy and sell successful websites Ishmael, how's it going? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm the CEO of uh, FE International. We're website brokers specializing in SaaS, e commerce, and content businesses. We started in 2010, and since then, we've sold around $60 million worth of businesses um, across 400 <laughs> deals, or just over 400 deals now. So we've been, uh, been around the block, seen a lot of transactions got a lot of experience and a great team, uh, internally. And, um, yeah, things are growing very, very nicely.
1: Awesome. Great. And of the 60 million, just so people know how this works of the 60 million, I mean, how much do you guys get to, how much revenues do you guys bring in as a business part of that 60 million?
0: Yeah. So I think our blended average commission on that is, I think last year was about 13 or 14%. Um, it, it very much ranges depending on the size of the deals. Um, we do. So we, we typically start you know our commission on transactions is is always contingency based, but we very much start at fifteen percent uh, for the smaller deals and then that ratchets up all the way to the double layman scale on the uh, multimillion dollar deals, very similar. That's what you'd expect to see in um, you know any other type of brokerage company. Um, so yeah, I mean that's our that's our blend average. Um, obviously, deal by deal does change.
1: So would you say most of the revenues come from the commission, or are there are there any other elements to to a sale that you know the audience might not know about? Um,
0: no, I mean it, it, we we work purely on a contingency basis, so we only get paid on the successful sale of a business, and that's good for us because I mean there are there are other ways you can do it. Obviously, you could take the attorney model where you know you have billable hours and retainers, et cetera. But I feel that the contingency only side of it or focus really keeps us honest with our clients and it means we're totally aligned in terms of the goals and values of each transaction so obviously we get paid you know we get a, a great payout um, you know the the higher the value we can we can get for the sellers which are our clients
1: right right okay so there are some uh, obviously there you know there's there's some competitors in this space as well how do you separate yourself from the the other you know brokers out there
0: yes yeah, great question you know there are obviously many uh, people you could You choose to work with if you if you were to look to exit your business, um, you know, ranging from our competitors all the way to you know your your local attorney, effectively. And a lot of people do sell privately. The reason we're slightly differentiated from um, from the others is firstly um, we're one of the only brokerage firms specialising in this price range, which is zero to well not zero, (laughs) so it's it's uh, you know anywhere up to. Uh, $5 million EBIT, um, and we have um, three offices across three, you know, locations on three continents now. So we've got quite a big team and they're all housed in offices. So the learning we can have, uh, you know, we can um, demonstrate internally is a lot greater than I think at some of our competitors where, you know, they might do a great job, but they they aren't co-located. So you don't, as a, you know, in our opinion, as a client, you don't necessarily get the same, uh, you know, Leverage in terms of internal knowledge sharing and expertise and experience across a team. So that's one of the real like value adds we have compared to others. And because we 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 have offices and we're running this like a business, um, I feel like um, our res- you know our core values are uh, a lot stronger than you know say in, in some other some other firms or you know if you were to work directly with an attorney. So I think that when you start to combine those things, you you know that all leverages together to provide a you know greater value for the client. And ultimately, our success rate is 95% on the businesses we choose to take on. So, um, you know, the results definitely speak for themselves.
1: And can you tell us what EBIT means? Uh,
0: Yes, that's just your earnings before, profit, interest, tax, etc. cetera, we usually refer to as EBITDA more than anything else. Um, but that's ultimately like the, the profits of the business. So yeah, anything up to 5 million in that case is you know, annual is is where we um, we tend to operate. And that's usually done on a seller's discretionary earning basis or SDE. So it doesn't include any kind of owner draw um, or, or anything like that. Because often these businesses are operated by um, the owner or small teams. So when you have to take that, cost out of the business or put so put the cost back into the business and then take that person out you know it's very difficult sometimes to establish what the true baseline for that should be so in business sales of this size, it's very common um, to use uh, seller discretionary earning when you're looking at EBIT and EBITDA Um, and I think most brokers across the industry um, do that as well.
1: So what would you say, I mean, when you have a we can call it a marketplace, when you have a marketplace like this, I mean, what are some key things for for people to understand, uh, key things you learn in terms of growing one?
0: Yeah, so I mean, um, well, I guess that's another one of the, the differentiating facts. We, we don't really operate a marketplace. We operate um, more the investment banking model than anything else, where we go out and cultivate a lot of the, the buyer relationships so that when we kind of bring a business to the market, um, we can get that sold very, very quickly because you usually have a pool of buyers um, ready to go there and then. Whereas the marketplace model, um, which I guess is something that our competitors like to use more um, in that scenario, you're almost blind when you're going out because, you know, in that model, you're it's just a uh, it's just a critical mass you're going for in terms of a buyer pool and hoping that there's someone on that list. So we have a lot of repeat sellers, we have a lot of repeat buyers, and the, a lot of the value we add is matching those people up to get the best deal for everybody. And that's why we can get deals closed, you know, in under two to three months from start to finish because. By the time we 're taking something on we 've probably already got five or six very strong candidates that would be putting offers in on the business um, so yeah we don 't really operate the market the marketplace model so much um, we just do a lot more um, Cultivation to get people to the point where when an opportunity is there.
1: Okay, I mean that makes sense. I mean when when I look at your when I look at your site, I I guess what you're doing when you guys are showing you know a a new listing, you guys aren't exactly revealing you know the the details around it, but just you know some some enough details to kind of get people interested. So are these the listings that you're showing right now? Is it just kind of to draw people in? Yeah, I mean,
0: so we have a, yeah, we we have several phases to the listing process. Um, And by the time it gets up on the website, you know, we might already have offers on the business. Um, So we kind of encourage people to get in touch. Uh, if you're kind of interested in in becoming a buyer, it's definitely worth getting in touch with someone in our team just to to establish the criteria, and so that we can we can send the right things to uh, you know to to you in, in that case. But yeah, I mean this you know we're under strict confidentiality clauses with our clients, and we're we're out there to protect that. So we wouldn't um, be putting up you know we wouldn't be putting up the, uh, you know, the URL or, you know, description of the business that could um, lead anybody to figuring out what it is, because ultimately, there is a lot of sensitivity when it comes to selling a business. And if you have staff, employees, etc, you might not necessarily want them to know that you're selling it up front, you don't want to create um, a panic, you know, internally. And you also probably don't want your competitors to know it at the time anyway. Uh, You know, so there are a lot of reasons that uh, it's kind of kept private on the website. There, there are a few bigger deals um, that kind of have press releases put out after they sell. And that's where the, the buyer and seller decide that that's something they both want to do. Um, it's beneficial for the business in a lot of cases. And it, it also helps the seller move on to the ne- their next thing. Um, and then, you know, we will put details up on the website. But, um, you know, the vast majority of the time, everything is done on a, you know anonymous basis um, on our public-facing Website and it's um, it's very much a again a, a cultivation um, of, of buyers and sellers in the background and, and that's where we add we add the value so you know the majority of people that buy businesses don't browse the website and then um, decide there and then cold that they want to be buying something.
1: You know the majority of, uh, or I'd say a lot of the, it seems like a lot of businesses that you sell are are in the software as a service world, and there's a lot of people that listen that are from that world. So I guess what do some people, what do people need to look for in, let's say, evaluating a SaaS business uh, that that they might want to purchase? SaaS is are, you know, one of our our bigger
0: segments, so we do we do do a lot in that space. Um I guess in terms of what to look for in a SaaS business, obviously, you know, there are there are certain things that should go without saying, so the business needs to be growing, needs to be uh long standing, you know, future proof to an element you need to believe in in the model effectively. Um there's people get caught up a lot of the time on kind of cost of client acquisition and churn. Um People often mistake, you know, the churn rate of you know high-level B2B enterprise companies like Salesforce, um, and 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 try and take that that churn number, which you know is in the point something percent, and then apply it to much smaller businesses, um, and then are very shocked when they see a business that has a you know five to eight percent monthly churn rate. A lot of people get put off, um, and I think like there's a lot of data out there to suggest that um, you know obviously these smaller companies um, don't have a sales team in place, they don't have a lot of, um, you know, other operational staff. So, you know, as long as the customers are still coming in and, you know, the churn rate isn't off the scales, then I think, buyers should really be looking for, um, you know, looking at these businesses in a slightly different way to maybe the high-level enterprise LinkedIn SaaS acquisitions that you're seeing out there um, and really find the opportunities in those places and look for things like, okay, the SaaS, you know, the churn rate might be, you know, 8.5% in this case. Like, if I bring somebody in to do this or this or if I improve the customer service, I can get that down to five and then, you know, potentially obviously increase the revenues of the business and potentially increase the multiples. So I think like a lot of people are buying SaaS businesses to improve them operationally rather than strategically or anything else. And you often get SaaS sellers who are very good developers, um, but not quite as good with a lot of the, um, I would say, softer parts of running a business. So the customer support, um, the business plan, the the long-term strategic growth. So we're getting a lot of people with more of a traditional background coming into these businesses and you know looking uh, and and you know obviously replacing the development work inside of the business and then really focusing on like the operational size of the business to to continue that growth so if you're a, a buyer i would very much be looking for for businesses that have operational inefficiencies um that you know but a business that's underpinned by a very strong uh, growth performance you know with a, a very good product that you believe is going to um you know stand the test of time but that's in short, you know, the operational side is where people should be should be looking because that's where you can increase a lot of value in a very short space of time.
1: Kind of like a private equity model, right?
0: Yeah, very similar. I mean, you know, minus minus having to refinance the debt, um, you know, and, and strip out <laughs> everything. But yeah, I mean, it's a very similar model. You want to go in and and improve and and add value in areas that the, the the current ownership hasn't been able to do because often, you know, you might. You might be a very good coder. You know, you might be a very, very good coder and developer. But you, to an extent, whoever you know, built it in the first place will always know a little bit more than you. Just you know, for the first you know six to twelve months of the, of the acquisition, unless you have a huge team in place and this is your tenth, twelfth acquisition or whatever. Um, But, yeah, but, you know, these people often don't have that, you know, the same skills when it comes to the softer parts of the business. So that's where you should look to to find those opportunities. And, you know, we've seen people take businesses and, you know, add 10, 20, 30 percent revenue, you know, in in the space of three to four months um, just by improving things like customer service, trying to get the churn rate down, putting better, you know, SOPs, system and processes in place, which means that, you know, these these businesses are nearly always built to scale, but they're not always scaling to their full potential um, because they are lacking a few in a few of these key areas. So that's something you know that people should definitely be thinking about.
1: No, that's that's interesting that you mentioned. There's a lot of it seems like developers can get these uh, SaaS businesses to a certain point, and you know then it kind of they just kind of want to get rid of it afterwards. So I guess what percent of uh, your SaaS businesses are are like that, where it's just like a developer that decides that they just want out?
0: Yeah, I mean it's that's one of the common reasons that people look to sell a business this this level they're obviously very entrepreneurial in nature and they like building businesses Um, and people you know people that are great at building businesses aren't necessarily great or don't necessarily have the um you know the, the desire to manage businesses long term so a lot of people will run some you know build something for two three four years and then decide that they actually you know they've decide they want to go off in a different direction, build a different product. And a lot of the times they've probably already started building something else um, and it's starting to take off. And, you know, obviously there's the, the time trade off. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the time they, they choose to focus on their new product, take the lessons they've learned, you know, in in the, in the existing business and apply it elsewhere. Um, so I think that's like a very, very common reason for people um, looking to sell out of their businesses. And yeah, I think that all, you know, like, like you intimated there, there's a, there's a certain element of people get it as far as they can. Um, and then they, Realise to a certain extent that they need to put in a lot of the operational pieces that they're not necessarily good at, uh, or you know, sometimes just don't have an interest in. So they would rather, you know, again, sell the business and move on to um, something slightly more exciting, which is building another business. In most cases,
1: if you can give us a quick rundown of the, the kind of the, the the multiples people are selling for for in, in SaaS or you know, lead generation, I guess you know, whatever you have, uh, can you give us a just a quick rundown?
0: Yeah, I'll just run through like the main business models we deal with. I mean, in SaaS. Uh, it could be anywhere from you know three to I would say on the low low side three times all the way through to four plus on a business doing uh, you know a million dollars EBIT or below. Above that level, um, you start to attract a lot more uh, private equity firms and funds, and they're willing to pay more. Um, obviously, so they you know that's when you can start getting into the five times levels plus depending on whether it's just a strategic acquisition or or something else but yeah i mean like and when i talk about multiples typically in a saas business because there's obviously the compounding effect of new clients being added assuming the churn rate is low you know you typically look at the more recent performance when you apply that so you'll take the last you know 3 to 6 months and extrapolate that out and then apply the multiple to it so actually on a 12 month historic view is actually closer to you know, four or five times uh, when you look at it on, on that basis. But SAS is definitely on the higher end of the multiple range um, when you kind of look across business models. E-commerce, um, you know, is slightly lower, probably by a multiple across the board. Um, but e- e-commerce is still very attractive because you have a lot of buyers in, you know, a lot of traditional buyers that have experience in retail and feel that like they can apply that in an online capacity. So there's obviously a, a huge demand. Um, on that side and then when you start to get into the more content side of things so affiliate display and um, and direct advertising sites and uh lead generation etc the the multiples do go down slightly or at least they have historically i mean there hasn't been too much activity in that space of late mainly because A lot of the sites were wiped out um, by Google a few years ago, and only a few of them have started coming back. So the ones that are coming back now are actually very, very strong, and they've stood the test of time. So the jury is still out as to what where those multiples are going to start. You know, are going to normalise that over the next couple of years. But yeah, I mean, historically, the pecking order has gone SaaS, then e-commerce, then content. It can change on a on a business by business basis. It just depends, like, what the underlying performance is um, at the end of the day.
1: And when you say content, are you referring more to like a publisher or like a lead gen? What, what are you referring to?
0: Yeah, so we actually refer to content in terms of yeah, so your. Your advertising businesses, so you know, AdSense being display, uh, direct advertising being like one of the bit, you know, the, the direct ad networks or, or actual just pure direct from, from individual contacts and networks. Um, we also refer to it as lead generation and, and affiliate. So, when we're talking about content businesses, we're talking about anything that's driven by the underlying fundamental content on the site to generate revenue demand leads to the business so e-commerce for example often that isn't the case uh, SaaS, obviously isn't the case it's the underlying software that is the value add to people there um, so that's how we differentiate content from other business models
1: talking about content for a second you guys are doing a great job with content marketing and you guys are sticking out there i'm seeing your ads all the time so tell us about your content marketing strategy and, and how it's done for you
0: we're experimenting constantly and we have a we have a quite a big marketing team here, um, and that's something we've invested heavily in over the years. And it's not been an investment from the, you know, for the sake of trying to get ahead of competitors, because the industry is still small enough. I mean, it's growing, but it's still small enough to, you know, where a lot of our leads come from word of mouth. Um, but we do it to try and educate people on deal making um, across those various business models. That is a very good source of you know, buyer and seller. Uh, it can be a very good source of, of buyers, especially, and, and sometimes sellers. But it, it it's just us trying to put the message out there in terms of what these businesses should look like, what a deal should look like, um, and giving people that information they need to be able to make informed decisions. Um, because I feel like before we started... You know, aggressively publishing some of this content. There wasn't really much out there. You kind of had the relic information from 2006, 2007, when, uh, you know, people were just relying on marketplaces like Flipper to do deals. But that was, you know, it's commonly referred to as the wild west of deal making. Um, so, you know, we, we just took a view and decided if we wanted, you know, this industry to continue growing, we, you know, and to, and you know, to, uh, we would have to take the lead on legitimizing it and a lot of the information out there. So that's why we put a lot of effort into that. And I think at the moment, we've got 3 ebooks out. Um, and the plan is by the end of the year, we'll have one ebook per business model targeted at buyers, and then another set targeted specifically at sellers. So it should really give everybody the exact information you need to either go in and invest in a business or position your business for a sale with the ultimate goal being that everybody should get the best results out of it. So, yeah, I mean, we, we use many channels to, to deliver the, you know, that message, be it podcasts like this, be it, um, you know, through, uh, you know, Facebook advertising, general social media, or, um, you know, our blog and, you know, uh, and yeah, other channels that are our, our team, um, our team use. I mean, we we do do a lot of conferences as well. We do like to get out there and and meet people, um, you know, which is how, which is how we met in person. So uh, yeah, I mean, we, we do the legwork and we're just fortunate to, to have taken the view to reinvest in the business and that means that we have a a large staff here now which means we can have three people out at conferences at any one time and still have a full marketing team here working on distributing through social media and and still have a full team of people just writing content all the time um so you know it's an investment we're making now and i'm sure it's going to you know carry on paying dividends in the
1: future for the sake of simplicity you have a hundred dollars what percent is going to be spent on uh, developing a piece of content and what percent is going to be spent on promoting it
0: yeah we probably spend the majority on developing it um because we feel that a lot of the time if you uh if the quality of the content is there people will naturally find their way to it and we're not trying to put anything out to be a, f- a flash in the pan. A lot of the stuff we write is extremely long tail. So, you know, for the right people, the, the right people do end up seeing it and it does, and it's fairly evergreen. Um, so, you know, if we write something today, I want it to be relevant today. And for the next three years, I don't want to have to continuously have to change it because we did a rush job. Um, so, you know, that might change over time. We might kind of, now we've, we've got a dedicated, um, you know, uh, PPC and, uh, and social media person in-house we've uh, we've recently brought you know we've recently brought them on so that might start to change as our our internal marketing becomes a little bit more sophisticated but you know, as I as I said before, like the industry is still small enough for you know, everybody to know who we are, and um, for us to rank pretty well. Um, and, and our SEO over the years has been very, very good. And um, you know, we, so we kind of in, invest that money in people rather than in distribution, because a lot of the distribution has been organic. So um, you know, but that's where the majority of our cost goes. It goes in the writing, and it goes in having people sat in our office distributing it in forums um, or you know, in it, you know, in other places, and just generally getting the articles ranked. Um, but we very much take the view that you know everything we want to do, we want to keep it internal. We don't really like outsourcing things, um, so that's where the majority of our spend actually ends up going.
1: Got it. Okay, so I mean, you know, I think content marketing is, is a topic that's really popular with with this podcast. So, I mean, you know, let, let's just use the hundred dollar example again. So, let's say you've invested a hundred dollars in content marketing off the top of your head. I mean, what what kind of return do you think you've gotten from content marketing?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends, like which channel we're using i mean we're you know if, if we're talking about paid content marketing here we're experimenting a lot with facebook at the moment and there's a lot of tweaking that we're, that we're kind of working with so a lot of it has kind of sunk at this stage it's more of a learning experience um we find we find that retargeting versus just straight up pbc seems to be better for us we pretty much say that you need to hit people with eight touch points before they actually come back and do something so Facebook and various social media um, accounts are uh, that we you know, we've been using uh, has been has proven to be effective in terms of um, just getting into people's heads and you know kind of seeing seeing us everywhere um, so yeah so the return is a, is a bit of a slow burn for us but it's certainly there but for us I mean the, the the ticket value I guess of of getting a client in and then selling their business is so high that you know you could just You know, you're always going to have a return on it. So it very much, I guess, depends on like what the actual return is that you're, you know, what the ticket item is that you're you're going to be um, getting at the end of it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's very very hard to say. All I know is it's it's profitable for us at the moment. Um, And I think as we become more sophisticated, we'll probably increase our spend, uh, especially across social media platforms. I mean, I know there are some that people prefer over others. A lot of people look at twitter for example and just completely discount it um but that being said a lot of the SAS and you know a lot of people in SAS, for example are very very active on twitter and if you're going to conferences that's a great way to communicate with people um so it really depends like what kind of what you're trying to get out of it if it's just general branding then you know the roi is very very difficult to measure for us it's, it's still it's still very new we've always kind of um relied on organic and with organic, the best way it's just been investing in people, and that's a, a sunk cost over time that um, we've just we've just had to incur. But we we have great people now because of it, and you know I feel like our ROI from from the paid side of advertising is higher because we do have that very strong organic base and we do have that very high quality content. So I guess it's it's you have to have all of the elements there. You can't just spend a whole bunch on on the paid advertising side of things or or the retargeting and expect to just Get great returns if you know you need the underlying content there. You need the branding there, and all the other pieces that go with it, so that when people click on your you know ad unit or um, or they've seen enough retargeting to decide they want to come back to your site. There's actually some value for them there.
1: And would you say? I mean, when you think about uh, you know we met at a conference, and it sounds like conferences are, are a big part of your strategy. So so walk us through what that strategy looks like. I guess to you know build relationships and ultimately have you know, more uh, buyers and also people, uh, I guess, selling their, their properties?
0: Yeah, well, conferences are really good for us because um, obviously uh, everything we do is online in terms of the, you know, we we sell online businesses. So a lot of the times there's a little bit of a disconnect between the real world, if you would, and, you know, people actually meeting face to face. And if you were to buy, you know, any other traditional offline business you would at least expect to go and see the business and you would at least expect to go and meet the owner for example before you were you were going to hand over a million plus dollars so I think conferences have been very useful for people to at least be able to meet us and obviously for us to meet them and establish that trust base on you know, whether you're a, whether they're a buyer or seller, be able to establish that trust basis that we are actually real people. We have a real office. We do real things and we're here for the long term. Um, so in terms of meeting people, that's very, very useful to help establish that trust from the outset. Um, and then just you know, for us as well, we run a portfolio of our own sites. Um, you know, so we we don't just sell the businesses; we actually have our own. So we're we're always constantly learning, and going to the conferences is is obviously very good because you get to listen to some of the the very best people at whatever it is that they happen to be doing. And there's pro- you know, there are a lot of takeaways we can we can um, you know, take from that as well. Um, so a couple of reasons. One of them being our own portfolio, the, but you know, the driving and main reason we go to events is to is to meet people, to to help legitimize what we're you know the industry, what we're doing, to help spread the message and you know that education point. And you know, any time we get on stage, it's a great opportunity to explain to people you know, why this is a very very good space to be in. Um, and that's something you can't always get across through content marketing. So sometimes that that face to face helps. And we've definitely seen our business explode since we. Uh, We've started, you know, doing that in it more and more aggressively.
1: And what would you say? I mean, what would you say is one big struggle you faced while growing this business?
0: Scaling a service business has been very difficult because every time you make an investment, it's an investment in people. I think, yeah, I think that's probably the most difficult piece because when you have such high standards, you know, you want everybody to adhere to those standards. But when the team starts to grow beyond five people, effectively, that does become difficult so we had to spend when we still do spend a lot of time systemizing a lot of our processes just to make sure that whoever you're dealing with be it in our our boston office our london office or our southeast asia office um you have that same experience um so yeah i mean a lot of service businesses kind of flatline and the reason we've been able to push through the first ceiling we've come across i guess um is because we've kind of Take that investment or taken our, our, our profits and reinvested it into, into the people and processes. Um, but yeah, that's by far one of the, the biggest challenges we've had operationally as a business.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, well, but at the same time, I mean, you know, meet people like Ben, it seems like you've invested in some great people too. So um, I'm sure it's worth it in the long run.
0: Um, yeah, it, 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 definitely is. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, why we like, that's why we enjoy doing it. it I mean, we could, you could have run our business two very different ways and other people choose to do it the other way. You could run it from a remote, you know, working out of your house and still provide great service to people. We like having everybody in an office. It's, it's a more pleasant environment. We feel we get better results, um, because of that. And as you know, an owner of the business, you know, it's just more satisfying knowing you're building something for long Um, and I, I feel like, you know, we do have some great people and, um, you know, we'll just continue investing in them.
1: One last question for you: What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Just one.
0: Uh, yeah, there, there, there are a few. I mean, uh, I'll I'll try and get around it by saying I'm not going to recommend The Goal, which is a great, was a great, great book, and art, but hopefully people will go and read that as well. Um, it's a, it, it might seem like a very simplistic book, but there's a book called Built to Sell it's only two, 300 pages long and it's not particularly sophisticated. But when I read that three or four years ago, I took a look back at my business and I thought I really haven't built this in the scalable way. I need to be building it. And, you know, it's something that we say to people, you know, building businesses looking to sell business all the time you should always be building it with with one one eye on the door effectively knowing that you're doing the right thing so that you're adding that you know you're adding equity value as well as just adding you know additional profits to your business so build to sell is a bit of it's quite an enjoyable read It's, it's it's written more as a story than anything else um but yeah i would say that that's a very very good uh a light book for people to read just to you know help them reevaluate you know either their business or a business they're looking to acquire just you know just to get a fresh perspective on you know how ultimately scalable it is
1: love it okay well Ishmael, this has been great what's the best way for our people to find you online
0: yeah i mean just go to our website which is uh, feinternational.com uh alternatively on twitter or, or facebook um, twitter's at uh, fe intl and facebook is just facebook.com slash fe international so yeah i mean few ways and we're we're very much uh we have a a very big online presence as as we've discussed so you know there's a lot of good information out there uh, a lot of good ebooks that people should definitely be and they're all free so people should definitely be just going, going having a read and getting in
1: touch All right. Awesome. Ishmael, thanks so much for doing this. Great. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.